There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of backcountry pursuits. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast once again. We've got a good crew tonight. It's a, it's a little bit late, and so hopefully things are going to get interesting. Got Joe and Chad with 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 us tonight. Chad uh, Fix, he's been on before talking about waterfowl. He's kind of our our waterfowl connoisseur, our mainstay for the waterfowl world. When we Maybe wanna... the only one? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It I'm could fortunate. Be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's the three of us tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about dogs and then kind of see where things go from there. So you guys go ahead and take it away. Yeah, I think uh, Chad and I have been going back and forth now for probably two months about dogs. Yeah. I started to get a little, maybe even three months, maybe it was December. I was going to say. Because that's uh, I took Hank out on a pheasant hunt um, in early December and he came back moaning and growing pretty hard. And that's when I realized I needed to start thinking about getting a dog and so i <clears throat> i kind of went back and forth for a while because my wife was kind of on the no more lab <laughs> tangent I, I have no other word for it <laughs> and, and i don't understand it at all but so i was looking at all these dogs i'm looking at britney's i'm looking at god i went to nova scotia's i went to uh man i can't even think of all the dogs but i went through tons of dogs trying to figure out what to do and and I'm going back and forth with Chad, and we're talking about the goods and the bads and whatever. And, and um, finally, I just texted him one day. I'm like, you know what? We're getting another lab. There's no other. There's <laughs> just for the what I do. I don't see the. I mean, the other dogs are great for what they are, but for the kind of hunting and the cover that I hunt, I just feel like a lab is my best choice. Sure. And, sure. Um, so now we got back to the lab ticket and then i started looking at labs and chad's talking me into looking at uh southern oak i started looking at those and then started kind of digging around and just looking at all these different dogs and it's like a it seems like once or twice a week i end up having an argument with my wife on when's the right time to get a dog and obviously never no yeah it's just like (laughs) just like trying to plan out kids for the best opportune time to have kids. It doesn't work. Not That's no, not a thing. There That's never is a, a perfect time. No. So, and, and, and in honesty, uh, my perfect time to get another dog would have been like two or three years ago. Um, you know, when Hank was a little younger and stuff like that. But but here I am. So, yeah. so we've been going back and forth and getting into all kinds of little bicker matches over the phone just through text message and, and all in good fun. Um, but... So I thought, well, let's get Chad on here and we can start just having some of these conversations and record them. And then maybe other people can hear from them too and hear the differences of different types of breeds, different types of, you know, I guess just gene pools of dogs Mm -hmm. and what to look for and what, what you want. And again, with dogs, everybody's different. Everybody has a certain prey drive they want a certain switch they want you know household manners stuff like that there's so many different things and it can come down to you know pointing flushing versatile dogs whatever you want 
you know, it's up to you what you get, but, you know, just keep in mind, this is our opinions on here and what we're looking for. Right. And we can hit on some of the other stuff as well. But we're not, we're not endorsing any specific candidates. No, just laughs. just, yeah, just laughs. laughs. <laughs> but, but no, cause, cause that's it. You know, it's, it's one of those things that I had a conversation with somebody earlier this year, they were staying with me and, um, he wanted to do uh, a bird dog shirt and he was getting pictures of Hank and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, it's really cool. You know, you might use Hank. And he's like, yeah, but I got to make it look so it's not so much of just a lab because I don't want to piss off all the pointing guys. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's true. Cause it's how we are with our dogs. If you hunt with a dog and you keep that relationship going and you have them for, you know, multiple seasons, eventually you kind of get a certain a fixation on that type of dog. Right. And we're really loyal to that type of dog. Um, but in that same saying, Chad and I have both hunted over both types of dogs, pointers and flushers, and had good and bad experiences with both those. Um, so it's just, you know, it comes down to personal preference and finding that kind of happy medium. So yeah. that's so we started the conversation <clears throat> of, uh, identifying your style yep. first. Okay. Um, it, what, what, what do you want to hunt? Uh, depends on entirely on everything. Um, so are you a fast walker? Are you a slow walker? Yep. Uh, kind of gauge yourself with how you just walk in public. Uh, that's a huge determinant yep. for what type of style you want. And then the second recommendation or second thing to bring up was uh, when we were talking is um, maybe, you know, hold off until the spring. Yep. And that's when all mm. the hunt tests are going to be happening. Because if you can go to hunt tests and if you can bring the kids and the wife and just check out and see all the different, you're going to see every single breed in these hunt tests. Yep. So if it's a... Uh, an AKC hunt test, it's going to be um, specifically for retrievers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to be able to see Golans, um, Labs, uh, Chessies, Poodles. My first one that I entered in, I saw a Poodle. I was like, <laughs> oh, what? <man. laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Uh, Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. Duck Tolling, uh, and... It was um it was amazing just to be able to see the style with the different breeds. Um, but even within each breed, when you get there's a lot more goldens and labs for obvious reasons because they're a lot more popular breed. Yeah. Sure. You get to see the difference the sizes in how they cleared uh different terrain, how they work different terrain, how yeah. they work water. Uh those are things to consider. And then you're you're also bringing up um, potentially looking at Britneys and yep. I was like, well, I I do have a little experience with pointers because my first dog was a setter, um, but maybe we can skip to that at, at a different point. But I was like, all right, we already know that you're kind of thinking about flushers because Hank's a flusher already. Yep. So there's another opportunity to bring your wife out because usually in the middle of May in, in Minnesota, uh, there's a, a, a hunt test for retrievers. And on the same weekend, there's a spaniel test too, which is about 60, 50 miles away. So yep. 
you can try and maybe see both in one day and, yep. and make it just a day trip of it. And that uh, I entered my retriever in because AKC allows you to do that now. Um, and I did it mostly purely off of versatility. Yep. I think a, a dog that's versatile uh, in the field and in the slough and they're just going to be a better dog. Yeah. So I entered her in that and I saw it was, it was really weird because you're coming from a perspective of mostly there's mostly labs in these retriever tests. And then you go into a spaniel test and you are the guy, like you stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone's like, uh, oh, why is this lab here? <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, there's, Cockers, I, I fell in love with cocker spaniels after seeing them work. They yep. just are so fast and bold. But They're springers, too. And um, I, I was even amazed at just watching a, a clumber spaniel, which you might not even know what that is. No, it's, never It's the largest it. spaniel, and they, they kind of remind me of just a big lumbering, almost like a mastiff. Would if you were hunting behind a massive, they're just (laughs) that's awesome, but they're effective. Yeah, it's just a a matter of your style, so figure out what your style is. Yeah, that that's a good point, too. Because for a little while there, I started getting into like the uh, like the Broncos and stuff, and looking at them, and I'm like. After I looked at them for a little while and read more and more about them, I'm like, oh, it'd be really cool to have like a slow, methodical working dog. And then I think about it, I'm like, fuck, I'd lose my mind walking yeah. behind something like that that's working that slow. And that's one of the reasons why I like labs is they're, they will work hard for you. They'll, they'll kind of, <clears throat> in a sense, they'll match your pace. Unless it's like a young dog, obviously, it's going to be running out ahead of you and whatever. But they'll, they'll kind of match your pace. And <clears throat> with Hank especially – when he gets on a bird trail, he starts to pick up the pace, which to me is actually kind of fun because then I'm kind of like not running, but I'm trying to keep up with him. Right. And, and then you can kind of tell by his little bit of flash when when the bird's going to get up and stuff like that. But, um, you know, matching that speed is, I think, really important for people to realize and to think about because when you look at like, like I grew up with short hairs. Um, you look at like short hairs or a lot of the pointing dogs, um, they can be really fast working and they work big. Huge. And if they're not a really good pointer that can hold their point and lock down a bird, you might be losing more birds than you're getting a shot at. And so it's something that you have to think about and have to realize. And then you've also got to figure in along with that, you've got to figure in your lifestyle. If you're the kind of person that's going to bring the dog to a dog park once a week getting a a fast working pointer even a fast working flusher is probably not the best thing for you because they're going to lose their mind sitting in your house every single night um and that's something i keep in mind when i look at dogs and if you want to get multiple bird dogs or if it's something you think you might get into later on in life you better make sure that first experience for your wife and kids is a good one. Right. If that thing's chewing up your brand new couch or chewing up your wife's shoes every night, it's not going to be a good thing. No. You're not going to get another bird nope. dog. <laughs> so, so that's all things to kind of keep in mind too is it's like, yeah, you think about the hunting side, but you've also got to think about just lifestyle in general. Mm-hmm. Is that dog going to fit your lifestyle? Um, for me, when I got Hank, 
I was working long hours, long days, and um, out in the field working construction. So what I did with him when he was a puppy is I'd actually take him to work with me. And I would, you know, carry him up on decks while I was working on decks or, you know, just even if I had him in the kennel in like a courtyard of a property and then I'd come out and work with him in the middle of the day, just try, try to work that energy out. It worked out really well. But the problem was, is later on in life, I wasn't able to do that. And so he gets really anxious now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to think about things like that. There's so many things that go into the lifestyle part that I think people overlook or that I think are really important. Um, so if you want to keep your wife and kids happy, you have to remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, you almost have to put your pride aside a little bit mm-hmm. and, yep. and consider that aspect too. Cause in, it, it might be throwing a little bit of a wrench into it, but I, the first dog that I grew up with was a Springer, Yeah, but she was probably the the slowest and most, most methodical dog that I've ever really? grown up with. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And then my dad got a water spaniel <clears throat> after that. And then he got another, he got a Springer spaniel after that. And that Springer was the best upland dog he's ever had. Um, and then my mom wanted, she wanted something different. And um, my buddy had golden retrievers and we didn't even know about this, but he was like, yeah, they're actually bred for hunting. We're like, what? Golden retrievers bred for hunting? <laughs> so then my mom was like, yeah, let's get a golden then. So we got a golden and it turned out to be the next dog was probably my dad's best dog he's ever had. Did you- and that was the first time I was able to learn because I was about, I think I was about 14 at the time, learn how to how to train a dog. Oh. So yeah. that's the other aspect is at what age and maybe we can... Yeah, we'll get into that. Get in that too, but um, that's where I started to learn how to train a dog. Um, So it's not into adulthood; it's as a kid. So then I know what to expect, you know, later on in life if I ever want a dog too. Yeah, Yeah. that's. I feel like most people that grow up with dogs are probably going to have dogs. Yeah. Yep. And how you train them, and how you learn maybe from your parents, um, has a direct impact of. How are you going to raise your yeah. your dogs in the future? It does for sure. We are going to take a short break to hear from an upcoming guest. Hey guys, this is Levi Glines. Tune in next time where we talk about turkey with the boys. Everything from tactics, conservation, getting kids involved, and getting fired up for the season coming up. One of the things I do know from my experience just with Gage and being the first dog that I kind of trained from the ground up is... Uh, is knowing yourself and, like you said, putting your pride under a little bit because you, you get this idea in your head of what this finished dog is going to be like. And so many times we as humans are horrible for not recognizing and embracing the process of that yep. and putting in the time because yeah. I've seen so many people be like, oh, I have this dog from this breeder. I brought I bought this lab from this breeder and here's his look at look at his ancestry and look at how awesome he's going to be and put in no time with him and they wonder then when they go out into the marsh this dog is nuts and runs around and it's like well yeah, this is just how anything else is. You have to put in the time. Yeah. You know like my brother is getting married to a girl that uh her name's Sarah. She she can get all any dog to do anything 
because she's such a good dog. She's just a dog trainer, mostly yeah. in obedience. But I started to tell her, she's like, well, what does a hunting dog need to be able to do? And I start listing things off and she's like, oh yeah, I know how. And she, it's like, it's obvious for her as a trainer to to understand the dog, to know how to get the dog to understand what you want them to do and yep. to get them there. Yeah, because they don't know what word you're saying. No, they need to know, they need to, they need, you want confidence to be built. Yeah. Yep. You don't want them to be running around with you yelling at them and them not knowing what's expected of them. And the biggest problem I see with guys like us, because I'm not going to say novice trainers, because we're all in that realm. Yeah. <clears throat> the biggest problem I Who see isn't? is... Yeah. <laughs> the biggest problem. <laughs> the biggest problem I see with guys is they get hung up on timelines. Yeah. My dog's supposed to be at this point at six months. My dog's supposed to be this point at one year. My dog's supposed to be this point at two years. Dogs are all different. Every one of them has a different personality. They're all a little bit different than the the next one. It's like people. Exactly. (laughs) And when you get hung up in those timelines, and that was one of the greatest things I learned right off the bat. I had uh, my wife's uncle was uh, a dog trainer back in the 70s and 80s. He was a big duck hunter. He didn't do it professionally, but he trained labs and chessies and stuff like that just for bird hunting, just for duck hunting. And the first book that everybody gives you when you start dog training or hunting dog training is uh was it gun dog or water dog or water something dog. that's the one you always yeah. Walters. Yeah. yeah and so and there's some great stuff in there but even he said and this was the the book he went off because back then that was like the book that was he the said, bible yep and he said he said read this book use what he does in there but he said just ignore everything in there that has anything to do with the timeline he said, just because he says that your dog should be at this point at this date does not mean your dog should be at that point at that date. Well, and it's coming from the point of view, too, a, a, of a professional trainer that has time every single yep. day to work, yep. too. And, and they're, yeah. they're not problem-solving. Because when they see the problem, they know what it is. Right. Whereas so, somebody like us, <laughs> like, why we see a problem and we can't understand it. You right. know? Well, right. so, back in the day, it was if you see a problem, you apply pressure yep. on the dog. Yeah. Which sure. is corrective action, and that, as we've learned, yeah, the, is not conducive yeah, the only, to... Yeah, the only time you see it anymore is, and it's not really the kind of pressure that you're talking about, is just the force fetch stuff. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that you really see it, where you just, you make them think of, if I, you know, don't open my mouth, they get like a negative yep. impact of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the collar stuff, like the collar stuff is something that I was really hung up on when I got Hank. It was like, I'm not going to collar train him. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm going to stay away from it, which I still think is great if you can do it. Um, but I also think that if you can do the collar training correctly, it's really not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Hank's been ticked twice since I collar trained him. And even when I collar trained him, I think I ticked him once before he figured it out. Because nowadays they have the stimulation option where you can get a beep or you can get a buzz. And that alone, if Hank is getting off track on something and I give him a beep, it doesn't shock him, doesn't do anything, just beeps at him. He'll stop dead in his tracks, sit down and look at me. Mm -hmm. And what's my next command? What am I doing wrong? Because they don't understand. They want to know. So you just tell them what to do next and they'll go do it. Um, I think that's a good point is that the dog training stuff, and it's nothing new now because it was when I had Hank that's, you know, by then it had already been in place for 10 years of the positive reinforcement. Just 
keep up on positive reinforcement. But again, there's also dogs out there that don't really respond to that as well either because they don't understand it. They don't realize that it's positive reinforcement until you train them on it. Right. It's so like it's you just said, another step. reading your dog completely because yeah. like Gage, working him to force fetch, there's what the book I was reading said to do and then what I figured out about his personality. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he gets excited about two things, real birds and treats. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he gets yeah. excited about. And you I mean, yeah. Chad I didn't realize till tonight Chad hadn't met Gage, but Joe knows how he yeah. is. He's just way laid back. Yep. You'd look at him and think, man, he has no drive. And the problem is is he's become smart, so he knows when we're training and when it's real. Yeah. So what I have to do with him specifically is reward his through treat training is basically how I've gotten him to do everything. It's yeah. how I got him to get in a blind. It's how I got him to force fetch. It's how I've got him basically to do everything that yeah. he does on it, does consistently. And you know, I had to read it. It was like, I'm not going to grab his ear. Yeah. You know, it's just. It, and that's kind of the golden rule for dog training. Like, especially like with labs, like the general consensus. I just talked to somebody recently who doesn't really know much of anything about dogs and bird dogs, especially. And I'm talking to them and I was talking about labs and I was talking about Hank and something I had to train him to do. And like, Oh, labs are great. You just food, food. <laughs> and the thing with, with like, it's like Hank food treats didn't work. Like he did not yeah. respond to treats at all. It was like, give me affection. That was his treat. Yeah. And it's, he's still that way now. Yeah. And um, so again, it's every dog. And then the, one thing that I catch a lot of people on too is like sensitivity. They don't realize they think this dog's the same as the next dog. Yeah. You can get a dog from the exact same litter and this one's super sensitive and this one doesn't give a crap what you think about them. Right. You know, so it's that's another thing. And it's like you said, just reading your dog. That's that's well, huge. We only have so a normal person, and sorry for anyone who has more than a couple dogs in their household, <laughs> yeah. but most people have one, maybe two dogs yeah. in their house. Think about that. We might only have five to ten dogs our whole life. Yeah, right. That's really not that yeah. much of a body of work. Right. So how do you gauge that? And that, I, I think about my dad. He's had two springers, a water spaniel, uh, and now four golden retrievers. And it's amazing the difference in personality with every single one of them. Yeah. And how they how they respond to training, um, just their instincts, uh, how they handle themselves around the house. They could be from the same exact kennel. He had one of the uh, the best Springer that he ever had, or the best upland hunter he ever had. Our neighbor went in on the same litter, and their their dog was completely different. Not nearly as effective in the field. Not nearly as trainable. So it, it's. I, I think more than anything, it's if your dog isn't responding, yeah, I think you just got to keep at it, but adapt, yeah, give give them whatever they basically need, yeah, um, and sometimes that's 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 something that we won't ever know, so the best way to do it is uh, to get out of your comfort zone. Um, the biggest thing that I have learned with training not not with my setter that I had um, because 
growing up with flushing dogs, uh, a, a pointer was just, I, that was Brett, like way different polar <laughs> spectrum. Yeah. I mean, it was opposite. Um, but with getting a lab, uh, I had, I'd been so accustomed to labs being so hard headed sure. that mine, she's, she's a British lab and she's the, the softest thing yeah. that any new situation she clams up and it's like, no, you, you can, you can, you, I've seen you do way more difficult things than this. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just a floating blog. Like just because the ground is a little shaky doesn't mean that you can't launch off of it, jump <laughs> in the water and go make a retrieve. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just keeping with it, keeping with your dog. Um, but to kind of go back a little bit is sometimes we don't see our own errors with training. Yeah. And that's where joining a, a club, it, it might sound like a, a huge time commitment, but it really isn't. Um, there's one in the South Metro of Minneapolis that I'm a member of, and I go a couple times a year, but some of the handlers down there are like, they'll come right up to me and say, do you mind if I come and help you? And That's they'll say, awesome. what, what are you trying to work on today with your dog? And I'll, I'll tell them, you know, I, I want her to line a little bit better along the shoreline because she cheats on the shore and then we'll jump in and basically make a, a seven or an L instead of just going direct into yep. the water. Sure. We kind of talked a little mm. bit about that. Um, yeah. Like I think last week or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the, the trainer will, or the handler, and this is an amateur handler, but they've, they've got it from other people. And they're like, you know what? If you just step like one step more towards the left or in front, yep. she'll respond that much better. And it's like, what? And I know I'm not providing a lot of context, but it's just these little tiny things that... Little nuances. Yeah, that we won't, that we don't know. Yeah. Until, you know, someone from an outside perspective is seeing it. We, we see what we see from, you know, right on the, the side of the dog. But yeah. if you have someone hunting alongside you um, or training alongside you, they can see a lot more of a, 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 it's a different perspective that I think we need to just be a little bit more open yeah. Two as well. Yeah. Sure. Rather than totally. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And I, I agree the the club idea. Cause that's, I think I told you about that. My buddy, he's got a, <clears throat> he's a professional trainer and he's got a place of a North branch and like he, every Saturday in the summertime, like spring through fall, every single Saturday, he has group training. Anybody can go up there. He charges by the day. It's like 10 bucks a dog or yeah. something like that. And that just basically covers birds. Cause he's got pigeons. Um, but they'll all go up there and they'll all work together and they'll all help each other out. And there's pointers, there's flushers, there's a little bit of everything. And he's got water there, he's got fields, he's got everything. And it's it's really cool when you go up there because, yeah, same thing. Like just having somebody else look at it. Because like you said, you're only going to have so many dogs in your lifetime. You put that together, say the three of us. Say at this point we're in our 30s while we're looking at you know a couple dogs a person. That's not much experience at all. No. You add in 10 more people and maybe somebody that's a little bit older with even more dogs, and these people are together all summer long. They're seeing hundreds of dogs every year. You can see 
you can learn from them so much quicker than you can by just like trying to figure it out on your own or going to read a book about it yeah. or whatever. And, and, and again, like the, nothing against the books. They get you to the basics. They give, oh, you, yeah. they give you the idea. It's a foundation yep. to build off and, of. And there's some really good ones out there and ones that are overlooked and stuff like that too. But like I, what I was told by my buddy who's a trainer, and I think everybody should look into this, is when you're training a dog, read a few books. Don't just read one. Read them ahead of time, you know, before you get to training time. Yeah. And then try to put together a plan. Work yeah. them together in a way or pick out which one you like the best. Yeah. But everybody does it a little bit differently. It's pretty much the same idea throughout, but everybody's got a little different approach to it. And some of them are more heavy on socialization. Some of them are more yeah. more heavy on just the retrieving. And some of them are more heavy on just the game finding. Mm-hmm. And when it get, when you get to a point where you're stuck on something, you can always go back to one of those other books yep. and try that way. And, um, you know, they all have a lot of the same basics, though. Baseball drills, stuff like that, yep. you know. But I think with Hank, one thing I did was – I read a lot of the duck ones and stuff, but I read a couple upland ones too. And just from that, like quartering drills or something, they don't train a lot in like duck books. And when you get to upland, it's pretty awesome when your dog can quarter a field with three or four people in it and cover every square inch of ground on the way, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't happen. I mean, it does happen naturally with a lot of dogs, but um, it doesn't always happen naturally. And it's a good thing to just kind of throw in there in the mix and the other thing is dogs get bored doing the same things over and over again so it's nice yeah. to change it up and make it interesting mm-hmm. yeah it's really you know it's funny as you're talking about that i just think how how similar it is to athletics yeah there are foundations to every sporting event that are kind of across the board yep. that this is kind of the efficiency and the mechanics that are required but Every athlete does it a little bit different, and every athlete, their drive towards certain parts of that are a little bit different. And I feel like, I mean, look, go look at look at basketball. Everybody's shot is mechanically pretty similar, but everybody has their own flair on how it's most comfortable for them and how they've become successful at making it more consistent. And I feel... It's the same way when we talk about anything, but when it, when it comes to dogs is that those books really can give you a foundation. Like one of the first things with Gage, one of the strong foundations was kind of just the pressure on, pressure off principle. Yep. And it come to find out as he grew up and matured, I didn't really need to use that mm-hmm. a ton, but I was able to exercise it at the beginning even just as he was a little puppy from day one, it was something I was able to, and it it not only worked on him, I think more than anything, it worked on me. Mm-hmm. It worked on my patience and it worked on my ability to kind of, kind of reason, how is this going to, how's this going to go? Cause yeah. you're holding them against you. And the moment he stops wiggling, you release that pressure, yeah. you give him that a couple of times and then you set him down. And the goal, the book I was reading, the goal is that he begins to understand that the only way that he gets his way is by being compliant. Yep. Come to find out that, yeah, that was good for him when he was a little puppy, but later on he wanted treats. Yep. You know, And it, I really didn't ever have to be heavy-handed with him or really pressure him. And, but that was something baseline that he needed and that 
also like you were talking about, Chad, that I needed. Yep. Because we we all too often look at the dog and what the dog's not doing, but we don't look at what we're not doing. Like you said, a guy could take a step in a different direction and the dog responded differently based on something small that the person was doing. Yep. It didn't yep. change anything about the dog, changed it about us. Yeah, and that's one thing you read a lot about is um, trainers training handlers. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. super common. and. Like if you get your dog from one of the prestigious kennels, there's some of them now. I think I told you about one that I saw had a two-day handler class. Mm-hmm. When you come to pick up your puppy, you stay the weekend, and they run you through just kind of a class of what to expect, what to do, and what not to do. And I think that's something that <clears throat> you know a lot of people just overlook because it's a dog and you're a human. Yeah, you know. But really, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of psychology involved in dog training. And, you know, if you can't pick up on certain signals, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. I would say, <clears throat> I would say that the thing that a lot of duck hunters um, probably just don't realize, but I think a lot of just trainers in general, they don't realize that their dog needs to learn how to share too. Yeah. Uh, Tug of war is just a huge thing. The dog thinks it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Yeah. You were kind of saying, Brian, that um, it's it's that pressure, but you get into a, a duck blind and everyone wants to bring their dog. Yeah. <laughs> and what what is it? It is a cluster. Yeah. Because every dog is running out, they're breaking yep. um, because they want to be ahead of the other dog yep. trying to get the down bird. Um, and they don't understand and this is the beautiful thing about with pointers is it's it's an aspect of honoring the other dog yeah and that is something that is just unfortunately so vacant in a in the other aspect of retriever hunting that i think with maybe with more uh if you if you the people that actually run their dogs through hunt tests and trials and stuff they understand that there's a level of steadiness that is ingrained in them. It's yeah. it's obedience first. That's home base. Um, but if another dog, like you have to learn how to honor another down bird. So yeah. if, if anyone out there that, you know, if, if they're getting a dog and they're training it alone, the thing is, is that dog thinks that every single bumper that you throw to it is theirs. Yeah, sure. And that's that's a huge problem because that's that's just not the way it's going to be. Yeah. Not every single time, and I know with me, not every single time I shoot the gun is a bird going to go down. Right. In really? the same aspect. <laughs> yeah. Man, the dude. Same aspect. What's that like? You need to practice. <laughs> <laughs> the same. The same is true with 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 dogs too. Is not every single bird that that falls is something that they would be able to retrieve. Yeah. Maybe another dog. Sure. Maybe it's yeah. another it's another opportunity for a different dog. Yeah. And, and I'll admit I'm it, I'm guilty of that. I'm terrible about that. And that's something that I didn't really work on with Hank when he was a puppy. I did a couple times but never really stuck to it. But now if I go out and I'm throwing bumpers for him, I'd say two out of every ten I'll throw as far as I possibly can and steady him. And throw it as far as I possibly can and go pick it up myself. Yep. And then yeah. carry it back and then throw it again 
wait a minute and then release him. Yep. Yeah. And I didn't do that when I was when he was a puppy. And I, you know, like I said, I did it here and there, but I never really stuck to it. But that's something that I've noticed with him is yeah, a bird goes down, he's gone. Yep. Yeah. If a bird flushes, he's steady. He's steady to shot and wing. So the bird's got to fall and he'll break. But he still beats other dogs out there that are breaking right off the bat, and then I feel bad at the end of the day because the other dogs didn't get to retrieve it. All. Yeah, but, that's I saw yeah. that on YouTube. The same thing you're talking about, Joe. I thought, man, I wish I would have just saw seen this small technique about you talk about, you know, throwing a ret- a bumper and then and then just walking to pick it up. Yeah. and I saw a guy, and I forget what kennel it was from, but it was they've got a YouTube channel and. He actually stands between, so he holds the bumper and he has a dog facing him, and he throws the bumper behind him, mm-hmm. and 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 goes and picks it up. Often, almost like the dog starts to recognize, it's just ingrained in that dog that uh, that it's released on a command to such a degree that it's like, because I think sometimes guys make a mistake by getting the dog fired up every yeah. single time they throw a retrieve and they're like, are you ready? You ready? 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 Yeah. Ready? You know? And it's like, I feel like the, the dog, you're just setting yourself up to fail a lot and of times. That's a great thing to that. do when they're little puppies though. Yeah. Early get, on, yeah. early on. Well, to... and you know, and, and that's why I think this, this drill was so important because I, I kind of did that in a way, but it was just with a check cord. Yeah. But to stand between them, it just gives them another thing to kind of focus on, and, and they're focusing on you. Yeah. And yep. then you throw the Bingo. retrieve behind you, and their focus is still on you because y- you're between them and the retrieve. And, and then if they do break, you can correct it because yeah. you're there. And I, I looked at that. I'm like, man, that's that's something that I'll go the next go around. Well, yeah. and it's it's a the aspect of uh, someone that well, you you brought up athletics is you have to also learn how to lose too, or yeah. how to graciously mm-hmm. lose. Yeah. Um. Be, and when you lose, you just want it that much more. Right. Yeah. Right. It, the same is going to be true with with a dog too. I I had a setter. Um. She. She ran. I would I would bring both of my dogs out to a softball field. I would let the setter just run because she would just bomb back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> and I would have I would have Jace my lab because I was training her. Um, I would throw a bumper out, and my setter will go up and grab it, and she'll just flip it all around and <laughs> dance and prance and like teaser. <laughs> and Jace will just look at me like, just say it. Just It's the, the say one. Yeah, kind yeah. of this, when is it going to be mine? Yeah. And not every single one was hers. Yeah. But she just want it. It made them want it that much more. Yeah. It was that, that drive that, okay, that's hers. That next one. Is it going to be mine? Is it going to be mine? Is yeah. it going to be mine? Yeah. So there's that level too of, of of trying to instill that with dogs, and I, I feel like we just we go out to you know to go hunting, and you, you say, well, yeah, I got my my dog at ABC Kennel, world renowned. You know, my the dad's from Scotland, and the mom's yeah. from Ireland, yeah. and they're just top-of-the-line champions. A Ferrari. And, yeah, and yeah. it's like, well, how much time have you spent 
in the off season yeah, with it. Sure, sure. Well, you know, we'll go to the park and I'll throw a tennis ball. And it's like, dude, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is the first time is your dog even has been exposed to gunfire. Right. Well, I'll clap and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. man, and then, and, then it's, and then it's like, okay, a bird drops. It's my, my dog's time to go pick it up. Yeah. And so she goes and brings it back. And this didn't happen to my dog, unfortunately. Well, thankfully, it didn't happen to my dog. But it's happened to other dogs that I've seen where another guy will send his dog out They'll come back with the bird, and someone else's dog, who's not trained, gets breaks away from, yeah, you know, the hand the the other hunter who's holding the collar, but somehow wrangles or gets wiggles its way out, and goes and steals the bird away from yeah, the other yeah. dog, and it's like, dude, that's like, that's, that's not horrible. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all just, the way around. Yeah, and now you're just now the other dog that's bringing the bird back thinks well. Why? Why would I even want to come back with yeah. a bird? Yeah, if yeah, it's just going to be stolen yeah, from me. Yeah, and with, so. with steadiness, I think that's one thing that guys will work on when they're a puppy. They'll work on it till they're say even two years old, and the dog's steady. But steadiness is something I think that you have to work on constantly. As it's, long as you're going to hunt that dog, you have to work on it. One hundred and one. Yeah, and it's it's something that I've fallen back fallen behind on before and then i'll get back working with with hank this year when i was posting all those videos and yep. stuff i was finally starting to work with him again on it because i just kind of stopped for a while because i wasn't really duck hunting and then i started working with him uh, with him on again on it and it literally took like a week of every night going out for 20 minutes working with him to a point where i was walking out picking up dummies throwing them another 20 40 yards walking up picking it up throwing another 40 yards walking all the way back to him calling him to heal, walking away and then letting them break on. Yeah. You know, and it's it takes it takes a little bit of time, but if you can keep up with it and just maintain it. Yeah. You don't have to go through the whole week. Well, of and right. and don't with let it. opening duck morning in the blind be the first time your yeah. dog has heard a 12 gauge. Yeah. And in, in in months and months and months. Yeah. I that was one thing that I did with gauge too is like in the summer get some guys together shooting clays. Yeah. Oh have gauge there and yep. have him around that where and even to to a degree if it's with guys I trust use it as a training opportunity yep. you know and have him healing and and have guys shoot or myself shoot and after the shooting you know after the gunfire throw a retrieve and yep. work on his steadiness so that the first time he hears that gun blast is not because you guys know how it is. Everything in a dog, it's like their senses are so, so on point. They get like gauge now. It's one of the things I love now is when we actually are hunting, he's he's there and he's in the marsh and he's looking around. It's dark. Yeah. And he's looking around up in the sky, just looking yeah. back and forth and looking around. And if he hears birds that we can't quite see yet that are buzzing, his ears perk up and he knows what we're doing now. Yeah. And that's something that I can't recreate in a training yeah. session. I can't uh, recreate that moment yep. in a training session. So I need to try to recreate everything that I can in a training session with him, with gunfire and multiple guys shooting, yep. you know, and all of those things that you can kind of hopefully help them. Cause the biggest thing is helping them not to fail. Yep. And that's, yep. especially when they know what to do Yeah, and they know what to do and they know how to do it. 
trying to as much as we can to set them up not to fail and to trust them too and, is yeah a, is a big thing it it was i've got a buddy i we met up in alaska hunting king eiders and um this Wait, past what? fall <laughs> <laughs> we better do it <laughs> that's gonna have its own podcast yeah. <laughs> all right well I'll just I'll just say I met a guy. Yeah, you can't just throw something like that out there. Sorry. <laughs> He's from Saskatchewan. We went a uh, a couple of buddies and I went up to Saskatchewan to go goose hunting with him. And uh, he has a dog named Gage, actually. Uh, and it was amazing with Saskatchewan. I don't know if you guys have been there, but it's flat. It's like Nebraska flat. Oh. You can see for miles and miles and miles, and if you think that you don't, if you don't see any birds at all, you probably, you probably don't. But if you look at back at Gage, Gage sees birds way off in the distance. Yeah. It's like what? Like yeah. they're behind <laughs> us, like five miles away, and that dog is just zeroed in on them. It's, it's so like, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. That happened to me on the 4th of July. It was funny. We were sitting all out on a pontoon out on Force Lake, and we usually go out on either down on the St. Croix River or out on one of the lakes for a 4th of July with my family. And and uh, it's just it's a cool feeling to see a dog do something that that they're made to do. And we're all sitting there, and one of the side doors on the pontoon was open, you know, and latched open so that it was just kind of like people could jump off and swim. And all of a sudden, I'm, I look, and I don't see Gage anywhere. And uh, there's a lot of people on the pontoon, kind of a big pontoon. And I notice he's sitting with that gate open. And he's just sitting there just super intently staring. And it took me a second. I had to look and be like, oh, my gosh, there are geese out there. <laughs> there were like a dozen geese like 200 yards away <laughs> and he just doesn't give a rip about the festivities he's just focused in and he's like all right there's i know there's going to be a gunshot here soon and 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 he's going to send me and i'm going to be able to go get, it, it's yep. just you know like you just can see in his eyes like that, that we're in this moment it's yep. right you know and and there's like jet skis going across in front of him and people swimming and he's just locked Zero. in on and i'm it's just a cool it's just so cool to yep. see that and that's you know? one of the coolest things that i think about dogs is that focus they get and the memory retention is really amazing too yeah like i did yep. that post a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago when pheasant closed down and I had to run down in the basement and grab something, and I had to grab it from my gun safe. And I went down to the gun safe. It was middle of the day during the week, which is normally when I would, like, run home and grab Hank and take him out for a couple hours pheasant hunting. I ran down to the gun safe to grab something, and he was freaking out. Like, he's like, all right, it's game on. It's been a little bit. Because you're at the gun safe. Yeah, it's it's time to go. But, yeah, you get that focus, too, and it's just it's so cool to watch where just nothing phases them when they get in that moment. But one thing I was going to hit on earlier that when you were talking about is the gunfire thing, that's yeah. my biggest pet peeve is when people get a dog and their first thought is, all right, well, it's an eight-week-old puppy. I'll take it to the gun range. That'll, that'll <laughs> oh, break gosh. them. Or, oh, or, gosh. or even when they're six months old, I'm going to take them to the gun range. And that's yeah. going to, that, you know, just take them to the trap, take them to trap one night. You know, I'll have them sit in the picnic tables 10 yards behind the line. And then next week I'll bring them up to the line and like, oh. you idiot. Yeah. You're, you're. You're one. You're creating a a situation where gunfire is just gunfire. Mm-hmm. It's not 
considered fun to them. You yeah. have to mix it in with fun. Yeah. Get them to realize that when a gun goes off, it means it's time to go have fun. Yeah. You know, like yeah. with Hank, when he was a puppy, when he would get a little too far out or whatever, I could literally point a gun in the air and shoot it and he would come running right to me. Yeah. With that look knew, of, where's the bird? Where's the bird? Yeah, where's the bird? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's a big one that just like a lot of people just kind of, they don't treat it as like an important part of the training. They, no. They treat it as just like a sidebar. And it's super important. It's you ve- can mess that up and have a serious issue on your hands. Yeah. I mean, a, long a serious time. That issue. That happened to me, and it, but it wasn't, it, it was different because I, I raised Jace to be, you know, to be exposed to gunfire in the right way that mm-hmm. it's going to be a bumper because I sure. have bumpers yeah. or it's yep. going to be a bird. But her first hunt that I ever took her on, she got attacked by another dog oh. in the blind when gunfire was happening because oh, she, geez. yeah. And so then it was, she didn't even want to get in the blind because she was afraid that something bad was going to happen. Yeah. And that was a three year process of easing her back into it. And the best advice I ever got was keep exposing your dog. Birds exposure, birds yeah. exposure. Yeah. Eventually, she's gonna get back into it. Yep. Yeah. But the best thing that I that I could do because I I couldn't do uh, a blind situation anymore was upland hunt. Yeah. Because the dog is running around, they're sniffing whatever they want. Yeah. And it was it was grouse and woodcock yeah. hunting that got her back into associating gunfire with good and birds. Sure. And then it was. Trying to pass shoot for, for wood ducks getting off their roost. Yep, yep. And then slowly building into it into the blind situation. But yeah, yeah it as as you said, Brian, it it takes a long time yeah. and it takes a lot of patience. Yep, yep. And a lot of people just they're they've they're gonna write it off. Yeah. Well, yeah. they they're like Which my dog is get. ruined, and yeah. it's like no, your dog's not ruined. Yeah. It there's there's a a wrinkle that just needs to get ironed yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, and it it and takes I don't, time. I don't, you know, it's weird that that is such a. It's weird that people miss that one because early on when when I was looking into you know doing my own training, that was one of the big kind of okay introduction to gunfire is yeah. important. So and like we we're what like we've said. I think all three of us have said maybe multiple times every dog's different. Yep. Mm-hmm. I I gun broke gauge to a twelve gauge sitting next to me in a day. That's how I did it with Hank. Too. But that's not every no. dog, and no. some dogs are really apprehensive. And luckily, I was following a good book, Tom Dawkin. Yep. yep. So I was following that book with Gage, and and it was just that everything in there had a purpose, and that's yep. what I loved. It wasn't just like do this. It was like, th- do this, and this is why, so yeah. that I understood what I was doing too. So uh, early on with him, it was a clap, but it was during a retrieve. Yeah. So I'd throw him a retrieve as he was on the retrieve, focused on something fun, that clap, and then it turned into a 22. And yeah. I went like super, I was like, I'm not messing this up. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know. So I had a buddy with me, and we worked with the clap, and then the 22, and then a 20-gauge and a 12-gauge moving that distance in until I pretty much realized he didn't give a rip yeah, that's about how, that. That's how it was with Hank, too. I followed the, you know, you tag tag team it with another guy. Yep. Have the other guy walk the dog out 100 yards away. He throws a dummy. 
I shoot a gun in the air. If Hank reacts at all, we stop. And I looked, track. At, yep. I looked at him. I said, well, you know, how did he react and stuff? And this was after doing clapping and all that. Yep. And how did he react? He said, he didn't even phase him. So he worked in another five yards. And it, we went through a box of shells before he got next to me. Yep. And the whole time, Hank is just looking at me smiling like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Can we come do this more? Yeah. And, you know, and again, like not every dog's going to react that way. And you have to have somebody with you that you know and trust and that knows your dog yep. that's doing the dummy throw or they're doing the shooting, you're doing the dummy throw. Yeah. Either way, you have to work it out where somebody, whoever you're working with can catch it. Yeah. If they flinch at all, you stop. Yeah. Stop completely and just backtrack and start over again. Yeah, and it's a lot of work doing, and as as the three of us know, I mean, like we stated at the beginning of this podcast for the listeners, we're not, you know, don't take any, take everything we say with a grain of salt because yeah. none of us are professional dog trainers, not even close. But we, in our own experiences with our dogs, I think we've all three learned some things, baseline knowledge and information, but it, it's so cool to do things and be consistent and then see the outcome. Yep. It is one of the coolest things. I remember Gage's his first real hunt, and it was way up north in Aiken, back on some public land lake that we got to hike two miles to get to. And um, a buddy of mine was like, I know there's going to be birds. And I wanted to put Gage on his first hunt where I knew they were gonna, he was going to get some action. And we went out there. And it was just so funny because he, he ended up retrieving like 16 that day and being his first time, it was like that's that's all he that's needed yeah. to be like that's a lot of good over and over yeah. and over. And then it was funny because like I couldn't get – I think all of us are, are – we're all dog people, so we're all like this. And I know like sometimes you just get weird with your dog, but it was one of those moments <laughs> like he – I put him in the back of the truck and it was just like – Danielle, I, I, she had called me and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be coming home. She's like, how did he do? And I was just like, I love him so much more. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I loved him before. It was like a kid. It was like you are training your kid to play baseball and he hits a game winning home run or something. It was like, I just, to see that work pay off is like, it's just one of the coolest things. Cause I'm one of those weird people that if I didn't interact with a dog, I wouldn't waterfowl hunt very much i that to me like if you put waterfowl in front of me i think of waterfowl hunting being half the dog part yeah just for me personally i that is something i love to watch to go waterfowl hunting without a dog for me i'm like "Eh, i could take it or leave it yeah you know but when when there's a dog there it's just like now it's real. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know what it is about that, but it's so cool to see them interact and to find down birds that you would have never found. Yeah. All of those things they can do that we can't is just so rewarding and cool. Yeah. And I think on the the upland side, it's even more. It's like 90% yeah. dog work. Sure. And, honey, and sure. finding cripples too. I, I think we overlook that on, in the waterfowl world because everyone's like, Oh yeah, my dog made a 200 yard mark <laughs> yeah. on the water. It's like that's awesome. Oh. But did it get that one in the cattails 30 yards yep. away? Yep. Yeah, I remember that one hunt we did that <clears throat> we crippled a bird, and it was kind of you know 
doing its one leg paddle across the pond and we sent Hank on him and Hank went after him and he dove and then he pop up and he dive and Hank's that's one thing that Hank's really good at is he doesn't give up. He's stubborn as hell. Mm-hmm. He'll just stay on it. And he stayed on it. And it was like five minutes. Finally, this bird dove down and it wasn't coming up and it wasn't coming up. And I, I looked at Hank. I'm like, you know, that sucks. He's not going to be able to get this bird. Hank shoves his head under the water and like you see his back legs kind of like kick nice. water. He comes up with a bird in his mouth. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's that's yeah, pretty yeah. hard to beat. <laughs> yeah. And I, I there's just so many people out there that they look at one aspect and they're like, yeah, I remember that retrieve or that yeah. retrieve or that retrieve. And it's like, no, you, well, that's great. That's something to build off of, yeah. but there's a lot more to it. Uh, and, and just in, in my experiences that, you know, there might be a dog that's fearless on thin ice. My dog, she's terrified of thin ice. Once yeah. it starts cracking, she's like, uh-uh. Get me off this. <laughs> like, I'm not doing this. Um, some dogs, like Gage, amazing at marking birds. Mine, she's not like that at yeah. all. Hank's not either. Nose, Hank, Hank might have a way better nose yeah. than mine does. But I know for sure if that bird goes down in the weeds, she's going to find it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, Finding things that your dog is successful at and giving them that exposure, if anything. If yep. if your dog isn't good at marking a bird that goes 50 yards, well, then that's a matter of you working on handling, yeah, hand yep. casting. Yeah. Um, but giving them those other reps that they're really good at. Yep. And that's yep. actually how my dog, Jace, was got back into it. So this past October, we hunted a floating bog, which, again, she's... Just anything new under her feet is just, it's not cool yeah. until she gets used to it. And it took her finding a down ring neck be, that was shot and sailed behind us in the floating bog for her to realize, oh, I can like jump and run in this stuff and yeah, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. And now I can, I can lunge off of it into the water yeah. and then make the retrieve. And it's just, it's, it's trying to connect the dots sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we have to think. And be you know be the brains yep. behind you yeah. know how our dog yep. gets introduced to that new thing yeah. yeah yeah and then it's like once they get that then it's like well I can do yep. sixteen reps of this and it's like oh man I love you yeah. so much <laughs> dude and yeah and it's funny because it's like we all have that those moments where we think back and you know I I think we all probably remember the first time we are actually out with a really good whether it's our dog or somebody else's dog, kind of the, that bird we should have never found, mm-hmm. that the dog found. And and you kind of remember those things. And you remember just those little intricate details about being out there with them. But one of the things too, like what you're talking about, Chad, with is that it, it almost seems no matter what you do, that every dog has certain things that are not their forte. And you got to give them a little bit more exposure to, and you got to find ways to work around things. Like with Gage, he, my biggest thing is that early on, I didn't work steadiness enough. And so so still once in a while, he'll break. Mm -hmm. And it's just weird because he'll be steady for 30 shots. And then in 31, he'll go. And and it's one of those things where you just kind of, Think okay, 
So we're going back to the drawing board and we're going to just keep working on it and yep. not get discouraged uh, and be like, oh, well, this ship has sailed. He's seven years old, whatever. It's just no, go back to the drawing board like you did with Hank. Yep. Go back to the drawing board and we're going to work on it and we're going to work on it. And, you know, and it, the reality is it's it's a dog, not a machine. Yep. Boom. Bingo. Right there. It's not a machine. You know, I think I think this is something I thought about um, a while back, but it's everything else we buy for hunting are machines. Mm-hmm. Not that they don't fail, but the chances that our gun, you know, our guns jamming, there's we get pissed about that because that's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Our bow, you know, our clothing, our accessories, our decoys, all of these things that we buy are products. But then all of a sudden we go get a dog and we expect that that's how it's going to be. Yep. And it's just not. They're not machines. They're animals. And they're just like us as people. They have the things they're good at and the things that they're not and the things they need to work on. And and sometimes we just have bad days. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You, you'll see that. You'll see that <laughs> when you... When, like, just in, in the fall, it's like, I shot, I shot a limit of birds in eight shots. Like what? Yeah. And yeah. then the next day you go through a box <laughs> and you, you might hit one, you know, yeah, yeah. it's just that, yeah. that level. And even if you go back to, if you can, if anyone can make it to one of those AKC hunt tests, yeah. you'll see that these are professional trainers with perfect lines. Uh, their dogs are just, they're trained constantly. Yeah. And yep. they just sometimes have bad days. Yep. And they, they shrug it off like it's just it wasn't their day. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's almost like they they realize I mean, I consider Gage like a working man's retriever. He's not I doubt that he'd do very well if I took him you know, to a trial, but I know that he'll find down birds for sure. Yep. He will retrieve to hand. He marks well. And he's decently steady. And I, when I think about, well, what do I need him to be able to do out there? You know, and to think that those guys whose dogs are just on point, I mean, just like you watch it and you think, good Lord, I didn't even know that this was possible. Yeah. Some of that stuff you watch, you're like, how on earth do oh. you get to that level? And to know, like you said, that even those guys have bad days, well, then it helps me to give Gage a break when. He just has a bad day. Yep. Instead of me being like, oh, man, what the heck's wrong with him? He's doomed. You know, yeah. you start thinking like, what did I do? What? Is he, he's not good at this anymore? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, he had a bad day, just like I have had bad days. Yeah, it took me a while to realize that that happens. You know, you'll have bad days with him. And, I mean, I told you about <laughs> when we were out on New Year's Day about Hank's deer poop day where he was just yep. real pheasant hunting damn dog was just like sniffing out deer poop so he could chew on it <laughs> like that's that's what he was hunting and i was like what the heck and finally i just called him and like let's go we're gonna go <laughs> we're done yeah this, <laughs> this is not working for me but i mean there's days like that and but the, then another thing we talked about you know like yeah they're not machines and i remember i kind of got real hung up on that when i was training hank when he was a puppy and i'm like you know i don't want to make him into a machine either and then i'm like you know what i did the you know kind of the assessment what do i need him to do yeah and i ran through all that and then i end up in a hunting situation where i'm like damn it i could actually use that other drill sure that actually would help in this situation being keen on hand signals would be really nice right about exactly hand casting is one of the big ones and it's like 
I, you know, so I went back to the drawing board and kind of worked on him. And still, I mean, he's not perfect at him. He's not great at him, but I can get him to direct a certain way. Um, but there's days where I'm like, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, all right, the next one, I'm going to spend way more time on yeah. the casting yeah. and hand signals. Cause it's like, there's days where Hank would be in the blind dinking around and a, a single will come in, somebody will shoot it and he's not even looking. Yep. And he's next thing you know, he's in the water and doesn't know where the heck he's going. Right. So it's like, right. Hey, grab me a shell. Yep. <laughs> so, oh yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's certain things that you think you may not need, but there's, a, I mean, those books are created for a reason. Those training plans are created for a reason. A lot of that stuff you probably will need at some point. It's yeah. just a matter of, yeah, it's not going to be an everyday occurrence, but when it does happen and you don't have those skills built into your dog, you're going to regret it Yeah, right yeah. away. Yeah. I think the other aspect is, okay, well, what about the, the person that they don't have the time to train their dog, what are they going to do? If they have the resources, they're going to spend the money and they're yeah. going to send it to a trainer. Yeah. That's a huge thing that I've realized that people think that when they send their dog away and they spend all that money on training, that their dog is going to be ready. Yeah. And done. It's like, it doesn't need to be worked no, on anymore. I've, I've seen way too many dogs. I've, I mean, even my setter, I sent her away cause I'm like, I don't have, I don't have land. Yeah. I don't have pigeons, homing yeah. pigeons or quail or anything. So I have to send her away. And she was great when she was training there. But then a month later when hunting season came around, it's like, no, it's, it's all back to the drawing board. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. a lot of people think, well, if I send my dog away, they're going to be perfect. Oh. And it's like, that's, that's not the thing. And yeah. we got to go back to, okay, what did the trainer do? And if you can, if you're going to do that, if you're going to send your dog away, I would ask if you can and pay extra for it if your trainer is not willing to do it, but have your trainer record the sessions yeah, uh, or just do little blurbs about this is what we did. This is what was happening yeah, and have them save that or yep. have them text it to you. Yep. Yep. It, it yeah, and big it, time. It does you a favor because then you can read the dog. Because if you're put in a situation where it's like, okay, well, I'm sure the trainer knew exactly what to do in this situation, but this is brand new to me. Yeah. The yeah. dog probably knows what to do, but it might be having a bad day. Right. Oh. And that bad day may actually give it a, unfortunately, thinking, okay, well, I can kind of get away with this. Oh. Yeah. And then yeah. that bad habit goes down, and then it's like, now yep. you're back at stuck in square one where you spent $4,000 on training that was worthless. Yeah. Yeah. On, but- the, on the timing thing, real quick, uh, um, you know, people get really hung up on that, that they're not going to have the time to do it. And I get it, like in your situation, Chad, where you live in the city and stuff like that. But if you live in even a suburban neighborhood and you have a yard, if you send your dog to a trainer, a lot of the stuff you need to do to maintain that training on a retriever, especially can be done in your backyard in 20 minutes a day Yeah, or it's, just taking it to a park. Yeah. Or taking it to yeah. a park. Yeah. But yeah, if you're trying to save time and you don't have time, get up really early. And yep. like I talked to you about it the other day, what I used to do with Hank is if I needed more space than what I had, I take him to a baseball field that's fenced in. They have the walkthrough area that you can get out to the field, and that's it. Take them to a fenced-in field. 
let them run for a little bit and then do your work. Yep. And it, it doesn't really take that much time. I think people really think it's going to be a huge time constraint, but really when you read the books and stuff, they all say like, you can't make your training sessions super long until they're older. And once they're older and you get those long once a week, twice a week training sessions in, plus their 20 minutes a day of maintenance, you get them to a point where they're considered a finished dog. And then from there, it's 20 minutes a day, maybe even four or five times a week. It doesn't have to be every single day, but as long as you have some kind of maintenance going to keep their mind working. Yeah. And um, yeah. And don't think because you can't even get outside to this day. I stand with Gage in the living room yep. and throw a bumper four feet in front of him yep. and have him sit there steady for a minute and just in silence, you know, and it's like, like looking at me, looking at the bumper, you know, like, and that's yep. in my yep. living room. Yep. And, and it's just, it's just kind of just that repetition yep. of those small things. And it's just yeah. keeping them, keeping their mind working, keeping them occupied. Yeah. Um, like Chad said, though, introduction to birds. Yeah. You're not doing that in your living room. No, no, you're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's not the chicken yeah. you just cooked. No. Right. No. no, and if you've got a pet bird, I'd suggest not using that <laughs> yeah. if you ever want to get a bird dog again either. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's that's it. The introduction to birds is a huge thing that um, people don't overlook, um, but that's ex- that can be expensive really quick, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're going to a trainer or a group training session or something like that, if you've got to buy a lot of birds, so you got to utilize what you get. Yeah. Get your frozen birds. Yeah. Get your dead birds. You know, don't just every time you go out hunting, grab a wing, grab something, you know, use what you can because that stuff gets expensive real quick. If yep. you've got to use yeah. I saved uh, for Jace's first year of training, I saved an old bird i just saved it whole I, it was a i think it was a a green wing teal or blue wing teal that i yeah. shot early season it's small yep uh or uh, my buddy saved a, a buffle head or a yep. hooded merganser just something small that the dog doesn't feel like it's an unwieldy beast that yep. you know, like a goose or something yeah. like that keep it in your freezer yep. it, it counts against your possession limit yes it does yep. Yep. but that's that's a bird that they can yep. Yeah. And don't feel bad it. about it because the reality <laughs> is you save you save a duck to train your dog to find down birds and to be efficient at what he's doing. Yep. That one duck that you didn't breast out and use is might represent a hundred ducks yeah. in that dog's lifetime that he yeah. found that you shot that you would have never found before. Yep. You know? So Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I suppose the three of us could probably talk about dogs for hours. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But we're getting, uh, we eclipsed an hour a little while back. So yeah. okay. anything <laughs> anything else, Chad, that you want to throw in just to? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, and I've kind of joked about this with, with you guys before, is we we joke about soccer moms of the world. <laughs> And I, I fear that a lot of us are soccer moms of our dogs. Yeah. Um, so you, you gotta huh. you gotta look at it at it as a in a different perspective that um, your dog isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Right. No dog is unless they're winning field trials. They're not the greatest thing. So allow other people to uh, 
to train alongside you, um, be open to other people's suggestions and what they're seeing, because what you, they may be seeing is, is something different that might actually be able to change how you approach yeah. things. So, but yeah, we need to all stop being soccer moms with our dogs. Cause yeah. <laughs> we love them to pieces when they, you know, there's that level of what Brian was saying is, you know, if your dog makes 16 retrieves, like, yeah, there's a level of accomplishment. Just like if your kid just won the, the basketball game or something yeah. like that, with right. the, a game ending buzzer beater. So yeah. it, it, the same holds true. Your, your dog is not, the best thing out there, right. but it could be. Yeah. You just got to put it in the right situations to have success. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Well, if you guys have any comments or questions or anything like that, you can find find Chad, myself, and Joe personally on Instagram uh, or else contact Outdoors on Instagram. Shoot us a, a rating, a review, subscribe if you can. We're really working on putting some some more content out and Hopefully stirring up some other great conversations. This was a fun one tonight. Yeah. This is a yeah. good one. It's a yeah. lot of talking about dogs, but it's that's I love I love it. Yeah. It's, it's that time fun. of year. Yeah. Yeah. People exactly. are starting to get dogs. Yeah. So. Big time. Gage is out breeding right now. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even get to that. We didn't. We didn't. But yeah, he's out. He's out. Hopefully we'll have a litter coming. We'll see if he got the job done. So, well, cool. Chad, thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for driving thanks for yeah, out thanks for here. And up. Thank you, guys, and we will catch you on the next episode. Original music for this podcast was created by Nakota Rankin. This podcast is edited, mixed, and mastered by Nakota Rankin. Nakota Rankin.